Hi everybody, and welcome to Knowing Your Niche podcast. I'm your host, Emma from Food Blogging Collective, and Knowing Your Niche is the place to get down and dirty in the kitchen and talk all things food blogging with working food bloggers from around the world. It's a hub of creative inspiration to help you, the new and growing food blogger, supercharge your own business and diversify, monetize, and take the next step. If you want to follow all the podcast episodes, you can find it on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for Knowing Your Niche. And of course, all the interviews will be put up on foodblogging.info for your listening pleasure. So, without further ado, let's jump right in with today's guest. Hi everyone, it's Emma here from Food Blogging Collective, welcoming you to the first ever Knowing Your Niche podcast. Hi! For those who haven't heard the hype, Knowing Your Niche is a series of interviews with working food bloggers to really get to the nitty gritty of how they run their blogs, focus on their niche and expand their empires. Today's lucky guinea pig is Amy from CookingWhenHanded.com, a worthy first interviewee as she's a regular contributor to Food Blogging Collective. Amy also is a YouTube sensation, having recently featured in a crazy video all about painting with food. If you haven't checked it out yet, then head on over to cookingwhenhanded.com and take a look. It's hilarious. Anyway, back to business. Amy, hi. How are you? Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning, my time. Afternoon over here. It is uh, ten past two. Oh, time difference is <laughs> five hours. <laughs> So we are talking today all about Amy's niche, which is dairy-free, and she's going to be answering some questions all about how she got into that and how she is expanding her blogging empire to take over the world. And I believe she has a special guest with her this afternoon as well, which is little toddling two-footed. There he is, perfect timing. <laughs> On cue. <laughs> On cue. Yes. He is, he's well-trained. Yes. That's because that's Mama's a YouTube star. That's what it is, you see. He's well-trained. Oh, right, yes. Uh, <laughs> and, but I believe that's, that's kind of fitting anyway, because it's all because of him, right? I mean, that's how you began blogging. That's how you got into it in the first place? Yes. This... Um... He is such a big part of it because when I had him, he had health issues that benefited by me going off dairy to nurse him. So the first year of his life, he did not have dairy. And so it became this frantic scramble to try to remember what I made that my husband and I would eat that didn't have strange ingredients or expensive or hard to find things. And... I just started realizing that there are so many people like me that are trying to do dairy-free things, or even vegan. There's a lot of that um, cross-niche interest, yeah. um, which is something that's really great to think about for bloggers. You know, I hit a lot of different niches with my recipes, and that really helps me to drive traffic. Um, you know, a recipe that's vegan gets posted on the vegan sites. If it's made in the Instant Pot or the Slow Cooker or Crock Pot, I post it there as well. Because even if people aren't interested in dairy-free, they're definitely interested in Instant Pot, for example. Well, so food. Really? <laughs> and in tasty well, recipes. Yes. Of course. I mean, we're all bored with things to eat, and we're looking for different things. Oh, the easy, always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you hit on that in your blog as well with, you know, things that don't require a million ingredients, you know. We're also looking to feed our families at the end of the day, so how we can do that affordably without just being bored 
that's that's where it's all about we're solving problems for people absolutely and you know at the end of the working day with the kids running around your feet who can be bothered to start a new recipe to be honest you want no quick and easy with very little going on but still delicious that's you know that's a lot of boxes to tick and i think you're doing it Oh, it really is. And, you know, I mean, even yesterday we just had leftovers, but we repurposed them in a way that was a little creative. What did you do? Well, we had some taco leftovers. So instead of doing tacos, if you fry corn tortillas, it becomes a tostada, which is amazing. Yeah, delicious. And you can actually wrap them in the corn tortillas and fry them, and then you get taquitos, which are also amazing. See, now I want Mexican food. (laughs) Oh, well... Cookingonehanded.com. I like that. (laughs) Segue into that link. (laughs) Okay, so you started cooking dairy free because the little one was telling you that it was upsetting him. Um, So obviously you're anxious to stick with that. How does that help you plan your editorial content? Do you brainstorm? Or are you one of those that sort of looks at the major food holidays and decides? Or is your audience telling you what they want to eat? How do you do that one? Well, the one thing I want to also include is um, even though he's able to eat dairy, I found for my body with chronic health issues, I'm just much better without dairy. So for me, it's a lifestyle, um, and I'm not changing it yeah. <laughs> because I, I don't care for the symptoms I get when I eat it. Okay. Um, so in terms of how I plan my content, really the best recipes I have come from me craving something that normally be is off limits mm-hmm. um you know i desserts there's not a lot of desserts that are dairy free until no. you really start researching hard everything's so, got cream in it hasn't it everything's got cream <laughs> and butter especially yeah you know people think i need to make this just a little better i'll mm-hmm. add butter add a bit normally, of yeah absolutely yeah normally that's great but <laughs> Um, so, you know, for Valentine's Day, I wanted a good dessert that was easy. I was craving cookie dough, so that's how my cookie dough tart came about. Or I really miss chicken marsala. That was one of my favorites. And so I came up with a really fast one-pot marsala pasta that you don't even need chicken. So it comes together really quickly, and I featured two or three different ways to cook it. That has been huge for me, is including an Instapot and a slow cooker directions when I can. Because some people will make slow cooker meals seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, I look at the audience. Um, A great way to do this is Facebook groups. Um, If you see a recipe just being requested over and over and over again, um, you, the you better jump in. Viral, yeah. <laughs> yes, you write that recipe for you do. your audience. You write it, yeah. It's a large group. Um, one I kept seeing was people wanted pork chop recipes, um, easy slow cooker pork chop recipes. And so I took a recipe my family had made for years and just modified it that little bit so that I could targeted to the population that wanted it, slow cooker and Instapot. And to date, it is my number one recipe on my site. Oh, wow. And of course, you've got a German background, haven't you? So pork chops, you know, it's it's right up there for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, go on. We've got as well. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that. Basically, what you're doing is you're 
you're cooking what you're eating. If you see what I mean, you're not cooking for the blog especially. You're looking at what your audience wants. But also you're saying, you know what, we're going to eat tonight. We have to eat this or we've got these leftovers or whatever. And you're adapting it, aren't you? And it's, it's just honest, everyday cooking. It really is what you guys are sitting down to have after you've taken your photographs. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that I struggle with as a, a mom, as someone feeding a, a picky husband is a lot of recipes – are a little too um, unconventional. You know, I don't think I will ever get my husband to eat quinoa. Um, <laughs> it's just not going to happen, you know. And so I really write for moms like me, um, in addition to, you know, people that are just, they don't want to say this is dairy free and have their husband pull a face. Absolutely. Um, we're looking for very accessible <laughs> meals yeah. for me and for people with children. Mm -hmm. You know, people often have one child that has a dairy sensitivity, and then on top of that, you have your husband and two other children that don't. So you better not be pulling out tofu mm -hmm. for your family because it's probably not <laughs> going to go over well. But hey, guess <laughs> yeah. what will? Uh, uh, chicken fingers will go over well. So that's at my core who I write for is, you know, really myself, the busy mom, just trying to feed her family. Um, and, you know, it's it's done really well for me if I can – Add that marketing as I mentioned you know you asked about writing for holidays and things like that my best recipe collections go out on holidays um, Thanksgiving is is enormous in, in the United States we all sit down we all eat that turkey we all eat these typical sides that come from tradition so you know when families are desperate to pull off this dairy-free meal that's the best recipe roundup collections Absolutely. is around those days. Absolutely. Um, so that's a tip as well. You know, if you have a very specific niche, um, you know, look for what people need solved regarding it. Yeah. You know, and obviously with Thanksgiving, a lot of women were starting to ask, how can I do this? So, you know, Facebook groups is such a good way to keep your ear to the ground and really at your core, your blog is going to do well if it solves a problem for people. Yeah. And that's where it's really careful to select the niche that you know you can solve problems for that group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. You have so got, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to what people want. You've got to give the people what they want um, because ultimately it's all about getting people. I mean, you want them to read your blog, but you want them to cook your recipes, you know? You're, you're creating delicious food. And so if you can do a bit of market research in your group or in an email list or even just on the blog itself and say, what do you guys need? And then you can fill that, that niche, you can solve that problem for them, then absolutely you are golden, aren't you? Yes, definitely. You know, I think one of the biggest things I see from new bloggers in those groups is you always see people working so hard to cultivate these thoughtful posts with a lot of personal sharing and vulnerability and personal stories and they don't get the traffic and they're asking themselves why and normally what I'm seeing is they're not taking the time to solve a problem for someone and it's it's hard to say this 
but if you're a new blog, initially no one cares about you as much Absolutely. as they care about you solving a problem can. for them. Yeah, nobody I hate can. to say it, but it's that's true. what I've seen. It's the harsh truth. But, you know, you, your blog is always, it, it went the same way um, that mine did, which was nobody cares if I walk the dog before I cook this meal. Um, you know, never mind jump to recipe. I always just said, here's the recipe. And, I, you know, you do yes. the same, don't you? I think yes, I do, um, and that's I guess from a, a long time food blog recipe search searcher to first time blogger, uh, and I know a lot of people say it can interfere with um, how often your search results come up and things like that. Um, but you know, if I start that way, I'm still seeing steady growth. Yeah, and. I've had so many people thank me for simplifying their life just by having the recipe there. I know. Um, you and I, I do include, you know, a personal just anecdote of how things are going or if there's a relevant memory about a holiday yeah. or a food. A one-liner. This recipe came from so-and-so, absolutely, but yeah. Yes, but most people... Don't take the time to do that. That's what I've noticed, with especially with food blogs, is your uh, your bounce rate. Uh, most people are there for that recipe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a great opportunity for your email list to show your personality and your Instagram. Mm -hmm. People that have taken an interest in your blog, in who Cooking One Handed is, mm -hmm. for example. And you. And that's when you yeah. can really show them that personality. Yeah. Um, one of my recent Instagram posts that did really well, I'm still working on figuring out, um, you know, what people like in Instagram is, I asked my husband to freeze bananas before we went on a trip, and he took the entire bunch of bananas and just put them in the freezer. Oh, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> peel it all. Oh, no. Yeah, peel it all, all of it. And so it's just <laughs> these brown frozen bananas that I thought, well... Uh, you know, let's see if I can use these, and you, you actually can. And so I included how I made a chocolate banana smoothie, how I actually unpeeled the bananas. But people got a really good laugh yeah. out of my husband doing something that I think a lot of husbands would do. You know, <laughs> yeah. you ask for one thing, you get something different, but he did it. <laughs> yeah, my husband would say, I did exactly what you told me to do, honey. I'd <laughs> say, yeah, okay, yes. fair enough. <laughs> and, and it's really funny, and I got so many people responding to that because their husbands would do the same thing yeah. or I would do that. And it's funny. So there are definitely opportunities to put your personality out there and, and to get those people that are kind of falling in love with your lifestyle, your family, you know, just everybody can, well, so many can relate to that family life. Absolutely. So, you know, there are opportunities for your personality, but not just with the recipes. Okay, so while we're on personality then, um, let's talk about your food photography because food photography is a very personal thing and a lot of people, um, a lot of people will know that your food photography usually can sell the recipe before the words can. Yes, absolutely. Um, um, it's, it's really been a learning curve for me. I don't have any kind of training. Uh, with food photography, so it all became self-taught, self-researched. Um, a friend gifted me a DSLR camera, which was uh, a huge blessing for me to be able to move past the smartphone. Yeah. And something that really helped me is I wrote to a much bigger food blogger 
and we agreed that I would do a guest post on her site. And I really started to study her composition of photos, and she started giving me some pointers and tips that I could use. And that really brought my food photography game to the next level because it wasn't just on my eyesight. It was on this woman with 5,000 followers or more. So I definitely encourage research. And as a rule, I never pay for things. The only thing I pay for is my actual self-hosting of yeah, my website. Yeah, I, but yeah. I, I don't pay for any trainings. I don't buy any guides that was one of the extra challenges I set up for myself is just that initial investment so there are a lot of good free resources out there if you take the time to search that's good advice um I've got to ask you you contacted a big blogger yourself which yes, absolutely it's genius it's totally genius we we should all be doing more of it absolutely um what did you say how did you do it well it's a lot simpler than you would expect. Um, the way I got in touch with this lady, I've actually done this twice. I'll tell you about both for the sake of our Food Blogger Collective listeners. Um, the first one, it was on the um, the Facebook group for Food Bloggers. I believe it's Food Bloggers International. And that's a free group to join. It's got a lot of really big names of people that I've learned a lot from just by watching their conversations and one of the ladies said I am going to have a baby soon I need to figure out um, what are your recommendations for getting out new content uh, in that period when I have a newborn and I just don't have time and a lot of people wrote including myself and I having had recently you know had my own baby just was very encouraging and encourage guest posts said I would be absolutely honored if I could do one for you and that was it she said okay great and that part of that was the opportunity being there you know being a little opportunistic um, but being authentic and relating to her on that level and that one went off really well it was a little intimidating because she wrote me her requirements and it was a lot different than writing for your own blog because it was I would like a picture of you, I would like your biography, I would like three to five vertical photos in a landscape, they need to be in this format. So that's really where I learned a lot. Um, and the second one I'm very excited about, um, I, I kind of reached for the stars on it, um, and it was through Instagram. And she, again, she was on that Food Bloggers International as well, but I followed her on Instagram. and commented on posts that she would post and things like that. So she had become familiar with me in that Facebook group forum and then by commenting on her Instagram posts, she kind of got a feel for who I was. Um, I did not approach her after two or three half-hearted attempts. Um, you know, I had followed her and been a, a big admirer for months. And one day I just thought, you know what? I will reach for the stars. And on Instagram, you can just message your hero. Anyone you like. That yeah. And what's the worst that can happen? You know, you know, you know worse off than you were before you tried. Well, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's just so silly. Your heart's pounding. But I wrote, hi, I'm a really big fan of you. Um, 
And I, I told her something true that my husband a few days ago had said, who is your biggest food blog hero right now? And I said, oh, that would be uh, this person. And so I included that to her and just said, you know, I love your recipes. They're colorful. They're really helpful. I love that you target to the Instant Pot. And I would just be so honored if we could collaborate on something. If I could guest post on, on your page or you could guest post on mine or, you know, anything like that. And I was very open to her. And she wrote back in about five minutes and said, yes, I am so busy right now. I would love for you to guest post on my site. Oh, see? So you, then, oh, you never know. It was so fast. No, I was stunned. And so then we got to talking more about, well, what are your recipes like? So we settled on things that she knew her audience would love. Um, her audience, she cooks a lot of Indian food, so her audience really appreciates international flavors. So we settled on a German recipe because she, knowing her audience, knew that that would do well. Yeah. So, you know, even with other bloggers, solve a problem for them. Solve a problem. Both of those guest posts came from solving a problem, one being, I'm having a baby, I need content. The other being, I'm busy, I knew she actually ended up going on a trip, so she needed content as well. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, so many people... You, you think as a beginner blogger, don't you? Like, oh, I can't possibly contact them. I'm so worried. They're so much bigger than me. They, they've got a huge following. They know what they're doing. And it just goes to show that, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. You might be surprised. You might suddenly get, yeah, I'm really busy. You could write for me. And, you, you know, we should be encouraging people. If you are a new food blogger, just get out there and start offering your services. You know, do it for free. Or, you know, we'll cook for food, whatever. Um... You just, you just need to get your name out there. You need to start talking to people. Um, speaking of talking to people, we are talking to Amy from Cooking One Handed today. And she is over in the US of A and I'm over here in the UK. We've managed to coordinate on Skype for the first ever Knowing Your Niche podcast for Food Blogging Collective. And we're in the middle of picking Amy's brains all about her niche, which is dairy-free cooking. Thanks to that little guy. Again, timing perfectly on cue. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> who is in the background. Um, we are moving on to uh, diversifying. I want to know, um, where does your niche take you? What have you done or what do you have in mind? Where could you go with it? For somebody that's looking at dairy-free blogging, um, where do you see yourself in a year or two years or five years? Oh, goodness. That's so ambitious to think five years down the line. <laughs> what it will look like. Um, but the beauty of my niche is knowing it, being my own target audience, so having friends that are the target audience. Um, the first thing I did was um, I got ads on my site, not too many, really important for new bloggers, don't get greedy, um, and then affiliate marketing. Um, I paired with Amazon because there are a lot of holidays that you need candy for. And, You're right. And being dairy-free, uh, it becomes that problem. How do I pull off a dairy-free Easter for my child? What can I possibly hide in eggs? Uh, that kind of thing. And how can I do it without going broke? Because a lot of these things cost a fortune. They do. So my most successful have been um, targeted to my email list. Um, I've gotten some clicks, but overall, when you build that email list, those are your repeat customers. That's your core. So, you know, you don't want to do it very often. But, you know, for Easter coming up, I did one called Filling the Dairy-Free Easter Basket. 
and I included white chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, bunnies, uh, crosses, and how to even make your own if you can find dairy-free chocolate chips. And that's a little more affordable for a lot of families um, because then it just comes down to buying dairy-free or vegan chocolate morsels and making your own. So yeah. that's I included a lot of different options just so people felt like they could pull off a good Easter and the products that would make that possible. Um, initially, I had a few that did not perform as well um, because I wasn't solving a problem for my audience. You know, for Christmas, I did one very, very early about things that I wanted on my Christmas list. Yeah. And none of them really had to do with dairy-free anything. Um. Um, they were tools that I wanted in my kitchen. Um, you know, some were funny, some were thoughtful, but... I see so many more purchases whenever it's related to a problem that they need solved. Sure. So affiliate marketing, big one. In terms of my future plans, um, I can do a lot with it <laughs> because I know my audience. Um, what I've currently just started working on is a, a meal plan, um, keeping my target audience in mind, the really busy mob. And it's going to have two weeks of dairy-free meals, including a very easy shopping guide and an enormous list of dairy-free snacks. Um, it's really targeted for that person who's just starting out on their dairy-free journey and is overwhelmed and doesn't want to spend a fortune on groceries and wants to get normal meals on the table that her whole family will eat. So it takes it a step further than just giving them recipes or my dairy-free beginner guide, which if you'd like to sign up and you can get it through your email, through my website for free. But it's just another resource to help that's a little, taking it a little further than my free resource. And I'm really looking forward to helping people in that way. And I don't intend to charge a fortune because if you consider the cost versus, you know, if 10 people buy my guide at $10, I've just made $100. So I'm really excited to be selling things on my own because I'm not paying anyone a commission. I'm not getting a percentage back. I'm getting the full amount. So that's something I'm going to focus on a lot more in the future as well. That sounds great. That sounds great. And meal planning is really big business at the moment, isn't it? I mean, I've done a lot of it through my blogging. And, um, yeah, I think there's a real future there for that. I think, like you said, dairy-free for people who are overwhelmed and totally you know, have just been told by their doctor, you need to go dairy-free like yesterday. And they go, oh no, and they run to the supermarket, the grocery store, and they go, where do I start? And if they've got something like that, that they can download to their phone and it talks them through it, then it is a huge, huge weight off their shoulders. Yes, and I'm going to make it as easy as I can, as planned as I can. The shopping list will all be there by section in the order you need to go in. I'll include brands as much as I can because I want to avoid those pitfalls that are so common. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of these women, if they accidentally ingest dairy and their child gets it, they have a reaction. You yeah. know, it's very serious. It is. So we're trying to make it as easy as I can for them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. So um, if there is one resource that you could recommend that, that that's helped you out with this sort of um, dairy-free journey, what would that be? Well, in terms of my own... She's a really big model for me. It would be GoDairyFree.org. Um, 
and just seeing what she has in terms of building resources for people, building uh, a database of where you can eat and what you can buy. That's been helpful. In terms of getting to grow my blog, I cannot overstate getting on relevant Facebook groups and Reddit groups and talking to other bloggers because for me, that's where my biggest breakthrough came from is I hit that wall where I couldn't talk to other bloggers, I couldn't find them, and I needed to talk to them to improve my practices for my website. Yeah. So that's another really big resource is those Facebook groups. And I also, in terms of learning a little bit more about photography, um, there's a free course by Mark Schulz Photography. And I sign up, and he sends out excellent, excellent emails and his freebie for signing up is a really helpful uh, guide for how to get the most out of your DSLR camera. Now, he's shooting for portraits for families, but you can take those principles and you can apply them to food photography, which is what I did. That's brilliant. I mean, like we said before, the food photography is, is probably the most important aspect of creating a recipe, isn't it? Even Even more so than the food, I would say, which is kind of backwards but it is if you look around <laughs> it's true though you know i see um i was just looking at recipes yesterday for something and i i thought this is not going to be very flavorful <laughs> um it was in a magazine but there were some missteps you know they were making a dressing and they didn't tell you to chill it in advance so i thought this is going to be very plain the flavors don't have any time to set up but it looks so pretty um yeah. you know a lot of people will try it just because it looks great so Yes, food photography is so important. You know, if you're just starting out, back up from the plate. You don't need a slice of an apple. You need the whole plate. You mm -hmm. know, let them see the picture. Absolutely. Um, biggest, yeah, biggest tip for food photography, stand further away. Yeah. <laughs> I think we and all learned that see, one fairly sharpish. <laughs> no, there, there are a few pictures on my site that I'm still updating that are, are cringeworthy because I, I did those things. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you... You just, you get better as you go along. I, I kind of want to leave them there, some of them, to sort of remind me of how awful it was when you started out. Gosh, it really is. But, you know, that's that food photography is the key to getting selected in roundups. It's your portfolio. Yeah. You think of it, if you're an artist, if you're a writer, the first thing people want to see is your portfolio. And yeah. for you as a food blogger, that's your website. Those are your photos. And yeah. And you feel like... Because you can't send them the recipes in the post. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one's going to take interest if it doesn't look great. They know. You know, that recipe plug-in, your site is so helpful on, man, I wish you would have that when I had started. Yeah. And the, um... <laughs> in terms of, you know, easy, easy to read recipes, you recommend some really good free plugins for that. But when I started, it was just all typed out. It was. I know. That's why I tried to include yeah. it in my sort of, in my basic, um, basic posts on how to set up because people just don't know where to look. I mean, talking about the, the food photography, even the, the article that we've just published on Food Blogging Collective, uh, all about how to get on Food Gawker, which is, yes. if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. It's my experience of putting three recipes up to Food Gawker and I chose one that was a poor shot and one that was I was quite proud of um, and one that was a professional shot and they only took professional shot. Um, but what really surprised me is, of course, the recipe could have been absolute rubbish. It could have been anything. Yes. But, yes, uh, it could be anything. 
could be any. It could be a link to you know go have a bar of chocolate instead or something. <laughs> but they like the photographs, so there you go. So a couple of weeks ago, my salmon niçoise salad was number one on Food Gawker. Um, it's not anymore, of course, because it gets bumped down straight away as soon as somebody else uploads a photograph of salmon. Uh, but you know, you're right. It's it's the food photography, isn't it? And also, like you said, the um, the Facebook groups, which allow you to connect with other food bloggers, which is actually how you and I met in the first place. I say met in inverted yes, commas. It is. It is. It is. With, with your love of um, British cuisine. <laughs> okay. You know, it doesn't get it big enough. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's... people think of British cuisine as overboiled sprouts and, you know, fish right. and chips, but... Hey, well, you know. they've clearly never had a full English. <laughs> so while we're on social media, what's your biggest social media following? Is that something you... I want to know, is it one that you've chosen to use? I mean, for example, Food Bugging Collective, I'm, I'm all about Pinterest. I absolutely love Pinterest. If you're not following me yet, go ahead and please have a look at pinterest.com slash foodbloggingcollective. Um, but that is a conscious decision that I made that was going to be my um my it's not it's not even a social media is it it's a search engine but that was going to be the one that i use um but i am also pleasantly surprised that i get a lot of traffic to the website through um facebook because of all the sharing i do in the groups what about you what what do you do with yours well the biggest one especially with you mentioned i was on a, a youtube collaboration with an artist friend she makes really funny clever they are so funny videos. yeah go and check them out please <laughs> yeah it was it was a blast to do but i knew that her biggest audience was on instagram um because her audience is they're about 20 years old or even younger so knowing that um she's really helped me honestly to target instagram to target those viewers um so I worked really hard on setting up my pop-up. I changed it from my email sign-up, which normally as a blogger, you always make it an email sign-up. Always, always, always do it. Um, because that way you have people returning to your site and they're getting reminders to come to your site anytime you post a recipe or a roundup or anything else. Normally, do the email. But knowing I had a lot of Instagram followers that were going to click on my emails, I switched it to have them sign up to it might follow my Instagram. So that's my largest one, just based on all of that traffic that came in. Um, and, you know, I, an eventual goal would be to get to partner with brands that I love, that I use every day. Um, they, they're called sponsored posts. So that's something I'm working towards for my Instagram. Um my Pinterest is doing pretty well. Group boards, that's something we haven't discussed a lot of, but I cannot understate how important they are. Absolutely um, huge, yep. That's another one where I wrote to one of my heroes, Go Dairy Free, and I wrote her and asked if I could be added to one of her group boards, and she said yes. So that was a big start for me on Pinterest as well. You know, even though I have group boards, I keep adding them. You know, I keep looking for relevant ones that have large followings, and I keep getting my recipes in there as well. Yeah, you've got to do it strategically, haven't you? The days of just pinning things randomly in sort of Pinterest cyberspace and hoping that something hits, that's long gone, unfortunately, isn't it? You've 
you've really oh got to goodness. think about what you're doing and where you're pinning and when and checking the um, engagement in the different Pinterest groups and picking your boards carefully and I mean it is it is such a huge topic. I'm writing a course at the moment on Pinterest for food bloggers because it is such oh, a huge, huge one. And there's nothing out there like it, is there? Um, but it, oh, I remember when I first started, I I had no idea um, how your pins won't come up unless you put in the appropriate keywords. So it's it's overwhelming at first, but once you just learn some good Pinterest strategies and techniques. And with time, that's the other component we don't like to talk about as food bloggers, is it, it needs time to grow if you it set does. the seeds right. It does. Um, it will happen. If you put in the right keywords, you focus on good SEO, as they call it. Yeah. But until then, I would, I would get no hits. I would get no repins. People couldn't even find my pin. Yeah. So take heart, take heart, young bloggers. And keep, yeah, keywords and hashtags now, of course, as well, which you can do. I know. Yeah, uh -huh. that's brand new. It just, yeah, I'm going to have to learn this new keyword thing for, for Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, even the followers look different now, I've noticed. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a whole chapter. <laughs> and not Great. only that. I will is, be the first to click on it. <laughs> this is another tip for food bloggers. When you do your hashtags on Pinterest for your food, um, for any of your food pins you put up there, make your own hashtag. That's a really great tip that I got from um, a major pinning guru. Um, so everything that I post now, not only do I sort of do a hashtag food blog, hashtag bloggers, blah, 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 I also do hashtag food blogging collective. So if you write now in the search bar, hash, uh, hashtag food blogging collective, you get all of my stuff instantly without even having to find the board or follow it. So nice. start one for your blog. You need hashtag cooking one handed. Yes. Mm -hmm. I do that on Instagram. Yeah. But I have not done that there you go. on Pinterest yet. There you go. Okay. So um, what would you say is your greatest success then? Is it this Instagram and the following or is it the um, major bloggers that you've been talking to? What's your greatest My success? My greatest success is, is actually very personal, um, which is why I write, you know. I had a friend who just found out her little girl was very allergic to dairy, and she didn't know it for the longest time. She actually would get rashes on contact with dairy. Um, you know, any ingestion of dairy would make her little girl very, very sick for days. So once she figured it out, she was overwhelmed. Um, I was able to immediately give her recipes and immediately give her support and um, actually her t testimonial is is on my blog. I've been um, reading it. It's lovely, isn't it? Yes. It was just seeing her, everything about that little girl has changed. Her personality, she's not as frustrated. Her behavior is better because I think, quite frankly, she's not in pain. Mm -hmm. um, that has been my biggest win. Anytime I get to talk to other mothers and help them through their dairy-free journey and see that their children are so much better, you know, being avoiding that food intolerance that was making them so sick. Those are my biggest wins. That's yeah. why I keep doing it. Um, you know, it's you have to do something you're passionate enough about to continue in the long haul. You do. So those are my biggest wins yeah. right there is just getting to see helping families. Well, what's more you know, important than the health of a child? Yeah. yeah. Well, oh. <laughs> case in point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, it's just she. It, oh, man, I can't, I can't talk about it enough. Those are my biggest wins for sure. Is is helping families be healthy? Which, of course, leads us to what's your greatest failure? Oh man, I think of so many missteps I made in the beginning. Um, I can't pin it down to one because you know it was a learning process. A fast learning curve. (laughs) Yeah, those those Pinterest pins that that initially looked terrible and got me no traffic. The pictures that were food photography. Yeah, (laughs) food photography. I I would even put the words of the recipe across the picture. I mean, it was very. You all, we all have to start somewhere. So, you know, there are a lot of just cringeworthy pictures that even now I have over 70 recipes and I'm working on updating all the pictures for all of them. So my biggest failure, I I don't even want to be hard on myself. It wasn't a failure. It's just that learning process Yeah, is what I would say. Um, You know, really, your biggest takeaway is what problem are you solving for someone? It is. It is. So go on then, final takeaway then from this. What one piece of advice would you give to a new food blogger starting in your niche? I would get on relevant Facebook groups and see what problems people are dealing with and see what I could write to help them with. That would be the first thing. Um, And... As you're growing, you will become overwhelmed with, oh, my Pinterest isn't good enough. My Instagram strategies aren't good enough. And you can, you have to focus on one thing to improve at a time. Um, obviously, your recipe needs to be clear enough that people can follow it. Um, and I would say take the time to get good pictures. Um Most people, when they first start out their blog, they talk about posting three or four times a week. In my experience, you get less quality posts when you do that, and you have to go back and fix them more, versus if you take the time to put out a quality post at a slower pace in the long run, it's going to be a lot less work for you. And initially, your portfolio, your website, as we call it, looks great from the get-go. Absolutely. That's that more is, than one thing. That's more than one thing, Sorry. but that is all great advice to any new food bloggers starting out in your niche. And that is the end of the interview with Amy from Cooking One Handed on the very, very first Knowing Your Niche podcast. Amy, it has been a blast having you here, and you were a wonderful guinea pig. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's my goal in life. (laughs) Well, so uh, if you are listening to this podcast, we are going to be going live with these um, every first Thursday of the month at least, although I have the the requests for interviews coming in thick and fast at the moment, so hopefully I'll be able to up that in the next couple of months. But thanks for tuning in today. I'm Emma from Food Blogging Collective, and you've been listening to Knowing Your Niche. Hey, you. Don't go just yet. There's still time to make sure you subscribe to Knowing Your Niche podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you're a working food blogger and you'd like to be featured on the podcast, then send me a great big hi there, howdy and hooray to hello at foodblogging.info. Thanks for listening.